Welcome back, guys. This is the Sunday Puncher Podcast. I got a full house here today with me. I didn't intend for, for it to be a full house. It just became a full house. We got, uh, we're just coming off of recording for about an hour on our pregame podcast where we touched on several uh, topics that we're not going to discuss here on the podcast, um, including Tom's trip over to Chris Colbert's, his in-depth review of Chris Colbert's Primetime Chicken Restaurant. Um, I got Tom here, got Fred, five stars, got, um, Lex here. And of course you guys know I'm Angelo. I am the host. So guys last yesterday, I mean, we had a big or no, I don't, I don't want to say it's big. I get, no, this is kind of a big day in boxing. Um, we only had the heavyweight champion of the world in action, but we also had several other fights, but you know, it was a packed day. There's a lot of boxing to watch. So let's start at the top. Anthony Joshua, he returned. He stopped Kubrit Pulev, who uh, looked very, very um, determined in that fight. But it was not enough. Kubrit Pulev dropped several times in the fight, ultimately finished late with the nice right hand from Anthony Joshua. It was probably seven rounds too late because, (laughs) you know, Kubrit Pulev may have just, like, Tried to indicate to the referee, like, yeah, I've had enough here uh, in the third round. But the referee said, you better turn around and take this beating. And uh, so, yeah, um, I, I got to start off and let's ask this question, guys. And I think this is the major thing that I was thinking about heading into this fight. We saw Anthony Joshua in the rematch against Andrew Ruiz win the fight. He completely won the fight. However, it was a different Anthony Joshua than we had seen. And the best justification that you could you could say for why it was that he looked the way he did is that that knockout was still lingering in his mind and there were still effects of losing by knockout to Andy Ruiz so I gotta ask you guys does it look like Anthony Joshua has put the knockout from Andy Ruiz firmly behind him Lex let's hear what you gotta say um I mean I think AJ is who he is you know I'm not I'm trying not to buy too much into the whole Andy Ruiz thing. I mean, he got past it. It is what it is at this point. I think the deficiencies that he's had in the past, I think they're still there. And that's not to, like, knock him because every heavyweight in the top ten has their own deficiencies. So, um, you know, I kind of stick to my point that I said before, which is it's a three-man race. I just hope that we get to see all the top heavyweights or the top three heavyweights uh, match up before they get clipped by other random not as good heavyweights. You know, the performance was cool. Uh, Joshua showed good discipline. Pulev was tough. He was tougher than I thought he would be. Um, and that's pretty much it. You know, I look forward to Joshua moving on to bigger and better things. Fred or Tom, you got Fred. something different to say? No. <laughs> okay. I, Tom, I know you got mad yeah. words for this. Okay, Tom might have an opinion. Yeah, I'll just, I'll, I have I'll a, just say a, a like, real good opinion here or well, I, I don't know if it's good but i have something to say here but I, well, you're I'll let complimenting you go, yourself on your take in advance no no i said I, I actually i don't know if it's good it may not be good but at least it's going to uh evoke so some discussion wavering here. and backtracking this is a disappointing way to start the podcast anyway now look the I had said last week the bar of success was, is anthony joshua going to look the way we expect because you know none of us really rated pulev highly And I think what we mean by that is a guy who's huge and ripped, is reasonably athletic. Is he going to come and just fight someone who's way physically overmatched and knock him out like he should? 
And, you know, the, the bar I laid out was that Joshua hasn't really looked like that for like three or four years. It's not just the Andy Ruiz fight. I mean, really going back to the Takam fight, um, you know, that fight was, you know, going after the Klitschko fight. I mean, it, it's really more like after the Klitschko fight to me, like after the Takam in the Takam fight. He looked very hesitant. It was kind of a weird stoppage where it seemed like the ref was almost doing him a favor by stopping. And finally, the Joseph Parker fight went the distance. He wasn't overly aggressive in that, even though it didn't seem like he had that much return fire to worry about. Got hit by a ton of shots in the Povetkin fight. Eventually did get the knockout, you know, sets the stage for the Ruiz knockout. Um, Loss and then recovery. So, I mean... To me, the Joshua who sort of trusted in his own body and his own free swinging talent really hasn't been there in about, you know, four years. So, you know, I mean, Pulev was the right opponent to go in against. He didn't offer a lot of threat. As I said, Joshua really had every advantage that someone could have on paper. And Pulev's a guy who never really had that high of a ceiling to begin with. So um, we saw a good approximation of that, but we also saw a guy who's been tempered a little bit. You know, reminded me very much of Vladimir Klitschko after he had taken his second knockout loss. Um, you know, he really slowed things down in his career. Uh, excuse me, third knockout loss. I'm thinking after the Lamont uh, Brewster fight. You know, there was a lot more holding. There was a lot more of a focus on the jab. Uh, and then he would set up his power shots when he felt 1,000% sure he wasn't going to get hit by a counter instead. But, you know, that version of Klitschko went undefeated for 10 years. So um, I think, yes, this is a changed Joshua. It's not the worst thing in the world in a heavyweight division where you can get knocked out by one punch. But, you know, I think this is no longer the most confident, most dangerous version of him. This is something different than that. You know, for me... Before the fight, the big question that I had, and I think anybody who has ever been a fan of what Anthony Joshua does in the ring, a big question is, can he revert back to the old Anthony Joshua? Um, The guy that we saw fight Vladimir Klitschko, that almost reckless Anthony Joshua, the the guy who was just the perfect, um, like you look at the heavyweight division before Joshua, and before Wilder, the heavyweight division was basically like Vladimir Klitschko dominating the division for, as you said, a long time, doing it in a very safe way. And then you have Joshua come along, and it's just so different. He, he, can, he can box a little bit, but it's, it's more of an aggressive style. It's walking forward. It's doing a lot of things that, um, you know, we just don't quite see in the heavyweight division. And... It made it exciting, and he became a big star. And, you know, this is one factor for why he became such a star. And after the Klitschko fight, we saw a slight departure from from it, but I think it was still very much the same way. And But in the Ruiz rematch, we saw a complete just... That version of Joshua was just so far gone. We saw a guy who was really risk-averse. And he came out this fight, and it was a little more aggressive wound up getting several knockdowns and the, and the stoppage, something that, you know, he did not get whatsoever in the Ruiz rematch. And, you know, I think the question of like, well, will he revert back? I think we have our answer now at the minimum. And the, and the answer is that no. I think 
this is the new version of Joshua. And it looked very good last night. It looked like a guy who knows and has seen how human he is in the ring. He has now seen that he can't fight that way anymore. If you notice in the, in the fight, every time Pulev hit him with a shot, Joshua grabbed. Every single time. Pulev did not land any combinations in that fight. And the reason for that was because Joshua has learned in the heavyweight division, when you get hit, you might as well clinch. You know, the ref is going to struggle to, to get break you too loose because, you know, the, usually the refs are a lot smaller than you. And it's what Klitschko did. And it's what, how Klitschko was able to be dominant for so long because no one could really catch him. And the other thing about Joshua that I'll give him credit for, he's such a big guy and he really knows how to use his distance. He, he kept, if you notice, Pulev was just always out of range. The only way that that guy was landing punches is when he would just lunge forward. But when he would lunge forward, that put him in a position to easily get clinched and, and held. And that's why Pulov was effectively just useless in that fight. You know, he landed a shot here and there and was never able to follow up and do much with it. Um, and so I think this is the new version of Anthony Joshua that we've got here. Is he great? Um, you know, I wouldn't say that. I still think that there are flaws with him. I still think that he's very beatable to a guy like Tyson Fury. But, you know, I think this is the Joshua that he needs to be. And should he avoid Tyson Fury? Should he avoid Wilder? I mean, I don't know any, I don't see any heavyweight that is going to trouble Joshua. Like, you think Joe Joyce is going to give Anthony Joshua any trouble? Uh, it's a good question. <laughs> I mean, it's got a, a pretty simple answer. It's probably not. Unlikely. Uh-huh. He said unlikely. Oh, okay. Um, so, yeah, I mean, any, any other things you guys want to say about Joshua's performance? No, he looks good beating up uh, trash fighters. I don't know if Pulov is trash. I, I actually thought Pulov just fought a hilarious fight. Like, it was just, like, not very smart, but at the same time, like, what was he going to do? Like, you know, this is Cooper Pulov we're talking about here. This is not, he wasn't working with a lot to begin with. And he just came in with a lot of balls. I think he thought he was just going to be tough and wild, or Joshua was going to be scared of him. And when that didn't really work out, I mean, Pulov had nothing. Uh, do you guys think the referee messed up in that third round by not stopping the fight? Oh, yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> I can't believe he didn't stop the fight. I mean, really? yeah, it was absolutely ridiculous. Turning into the ropes while he's getting hit have been knocked down multiple times. Yeah, you wave it off at that point. It's ridiculous. Fred, you were saying? I like when guys get beat up. So you, you were okay with the fight continuing past the third? Yeah, just let him go. See what happens. That was a very Jerry Seinfeld line from you. Everyone's stopping it too fast. What about you, Lex? Um, I don't know if I was like asking for it to be stopped. It just looked really weird. Like, even thinking about it now, like, what did he do? He turned around and like ran away. It was such a weird moment. I, I didn't want it to be stopped, though. I was just very thrown off, I guess. Um, I don't know how I feel. I, in a sense, I do think probably it should have been stopped, but I actually think it was more appropriate to call him for the knockdown there and then assess. And I think I don't have any problem with the referee did because did Pulev look okay in the, in the immediate aftermath of that in the round after? Yeah, he looked fine. So I, I don't hate it too much. Now, the question is, 
And this kind of goes into what Bradley was saying on the on hit on the Shakur Stevenson broadcast, which was like, we know the results of this fight already, just stop it. And like that completely goes against the spirit of boxing. Like it is the only sport where there is the home run punch. You could change the entire fate of a fight with one punch. And so, you know, it, it's kind of weird. Like, was Pulev just going to take that same beating anyway if they would have stopped it? Like, yeah, probably. So, I don't know. I've seen lots of referees also not stop fights for a guy who, um, who turns away. You know, Nonito Donaire has done this numerous times in his career where he's turned away and the ref doesn't stop the fight. And so... Um, I guess the one thing that maybe you could say was a little egregious is that Pulev never looked like he was going down. So the fact that he turned away, you probably should stop it then. But I don't know. I'm not going to kill the ref for that. I think there are far bigger problems in boxing than than this. Um, the The response to this fight, at least in the U.S., I didn't think was very big. Uh, you know, typically on Reddit, the fight threads for the UK pay-per-views are do really well because they happen at midday for us or, or, you know, early evening in the U S but also it's prime time for the, for the UK. So we get a, a global re- response to the fight. Whereas U S pay-per-views or U S fights are at night and it's the middle of the night for the UK. So they don't typically start chiming in until the following day. And, you know, our, the response was a little tame for what we usually see for Anthony Joshua fighting. And so I, I, I can only speak to the U.S. on this, but do you guys think that with Wilder taking a loss to Fury and basically being out of the heavyweight picture for the time being, does that have a negative effect on Anthony Joshua gaining traction in the U.S.? And I wouldn't say it's that. It's just like no one cares about this fight, you know? So you think it has more to do with the matchup? Yeah. It's like and this this fight got like no attention. Like even in the week coming up, it's like, oh, yeah, you know, people were just having to be remembered or reminded that uh, AJ was fighting this weekend. He just got lost in the shuffle because there was like a lot of boxing drama and stuff going on. The, the pay-per-views over here. And it's just like. Yeah, no one's got time to watch AJ versus Pula. I, I think Hearn made a huge mistake. Um, like, for one, before I get into what Hearn screwed up on, zone does no marketing. So, like, that obviously hurt them. But, you know, throughout the whole pandemic, all we heard was Joshua versus Fury is done. Daniel Kinahan got it over the, the, end, the end line or whatever Fury was saying. So, like, for anyone that may have any curiosity about what Anthony Joshua is doing, if it's not Fury, it's like it's kind of lost, right? Like, I, I see everyone now talking about Fury versus Joshua, and that's going to remain the talk of the division until it happens. Anything, if it's Usyk, if it's Pulev, if it's Dillian White too, not that that's being discussed, but anything other than <laughs> Joshua versus Fury is, is not, it's not a hot topic. But you don't think that because the fight next for for Joshua is likely to be Fury, you don't think that that kind of makes people less interested in the fight in the U.S. because no, honestly, rather than people, people, if the fight next was AJ and Wilder, I think that man, it's such a weird thing, right? For whatever reason, I feel like Wilder's buzz 
is very natural. And but and it doesn't come from any media. Like I saw Ariel Hawani talking about Joshua versus Fury. You see a lot of like boxing writers hype up Joshua versus Fury. So I, I think it's it's two kind or two different kinds of energy. I think Wilder versus Joshua would have more of like a raw, real vibe to it. I think the biz like the business fight, the people that everyone think or the fight that everyone thinks is gonna be the big fight is Joshua and Fury. Did that did I say that correctly? Well, I'll just kind yeah. of take this in another direction. I think part of why AJ and Fury, and, and thus, you know, if that's the fight we're all looking forward to, you can think of it like, well, no, I'm not going to make an analogy. But like, if that's the fight we're looking forward to, that is a fight that is incredibly important. Like, really important. There's, there's significance. It is a historical fight. You know, I, I can't remember the last time we had two British guys that if they fought a division would be undisputed, okay? But that is a, outside of the UK, that is a, you have to have a vested interest in boxing already to care about that and to really understand the significance of that matchup. But in terms of like, hey, these two guys fighting is equal fireworks, you know, get excited about it. That isn't what that fight is. That's more of a, you got to appreciate the significance of that fight in order to truly um, be excited about that fight. Now, that's not to say that that is a blanket statement that I'm making here, but I think there's some truth to it. The, but on the other hand, Wilder versus Joshua is just two big guys with a lot of power going at it. That's, that strikes a different nerve with people. That strikes the, I want to see somebody get knocked out, and I don't really care how many titles are on the line here, which is, I, I think more likely to draw casual fans out than a fight with everything on the line. So I, I feel like if there is a muted response, and I this is my projection of how the fight performed using whatever evidence that I have at my disposal, which may not be the truth, by the way, guys, but from what I can see, there are a lot of ways we can justify why this the, re, the reaction was the way it was. And I think really the looking forward to AJ and Fury is kind of a, a it's not as big of a fight as AJ and Wilder, you know, and, and the, the the there is a historical precedence for this, you know, when Floyd or when Manny lost, Floyd's numbers went down a little bit, not a lot, but they went down a little bit because we stopped looking forward to that fight, and as some people checked out. Now, obviously, Manny got those wins back, and before you know it, these guys break the damn pay-per-view record. But they're, you know, people look forward to fights, and, and and I think AJ and Wilder was more of that fight that got people talking than AJ and Fury did. Yeah, I just jump in on this topic. I mean, I think it's the right way of saying it. I just just two two disconnected thoughts with this. Is one, I mean is how much does that even matter, the notion of, hey, there's this other big fight in the future? I mean, that's, like, such a big part of, like, Bob Arum shtick, of, like, you know, mm -hmm. trying to clout chase off of other fighters. You know, we've, we've heard that for years. There are so many examples, like, you know, Crawford being a recent example of, you know, the way I'm going to promote Crawford is by mentioning Earl Spence's name over and over again. You know, broadly speaking, the sort of Heyman PBC model is to talk about the fight that's coming that week and nothing else like you know we we're talking about 
on the pregame, you know, some of the conversations that we've had with fighters, uh, you know, we're talking about it in a little bit of a different way, but in this context, it's like, you know, if you try to talk to those guys about like upcoming fights, they don't talk about it. You know, it's just, it's sort of marketing 101. Like you want to talk about like the immediate sale in front of you. You're trying to get people interested in the fight that week. Well, also negotiation you know, because you don't want to give anybody leverage by even yeah, mentioning that's their true name. Too. But I mean, even in house, when you know you have something like you know Sean Porter coming into the ring of an Errol Spence afterwards, it's like you worry about the next fight after the fight. You don't worry about it when you're trying to sell tickets and pay-per-views to the fight that's happening. So, um, you know, there's a little bit of that with this, where maybe it was just Pula versus Joshua just didn't seem that interesting. We're in the middle of a pandemic. That's part of it. I mean, it's still just hard to get attention for anything. And so much of the AJ show in the past, when you think of what was an AJ event, had to do with the gigantic crowds he was drawing in the UK. And, you know, that was taken away from him in this case. So that's definitely a part of it. Um, yeah, I mean, just another thing, I mean, regarding like the US side of things, I think there was a realization with the Wilder Fury rematch, which did, you know, a lot of buys. I mean, it did, you know, significantly more buys than like the PVC welterweight pay-per-views have been doing. Um, but, you know, it, it wasn't, you know, the talk that this was going to be, you know, the next Mayweather Pacquiao, the next Mayweather McGregor, which is the sort of thing Bob Arum was talking about and potentially telling, you know, <laughs> executives at ESPN that he was trying to do deals with or other people he's trying to do deals with. I mean, these fights just aren't in that scale. I mean, in the U S I mean, you know, if you had wilder knockout fury or something more sensational, like that happened with U S interest, maybe that could have done more, but I mean, you have Joshua has been humbled and he really hasn't regained that image yet. You know, Vladimir Klitschko became popular, but that was solely rebuilt over time. Same thing with Lennox Lewis. He had two shock knockout losses and slowly rebuilt to become extremely popular. I don't think we've really seen that with Joshua yet. And he hasn't committed to being in the U.S. So, I mean, this was um, I was looking up, I think, with the knockout, that was his peak on Google Trend was like seven, um, which is, you know, some people said was surprisingly high for, high for like a U.K. fighter. But, you know, if you have a big heavyweight fight or just any kind of fight which registers as like big in the United States, I mean, that's instantly number one, basically. I mean, that's just the popularity of boxing at it, you know, once you reach a certain level of fight. And, you know, I mean, it really shows this weird thing of like the, the notion of building AJ in the U.S. They basically gave up on. They're talking about Wilder Fury 3 as being, you know, uh, a Mideast fight. It's it's just like all this stuff is a little weird, you know. Wait, it's Wilder like, Fury three in the Mid East or uh, Joshua sorry. Fury? Yeah, Joshua. Excuse me, Joshua Fury being a Mid East fight. I mean, they basically have stopped trying to really develop Joshua as a as a draw in the U.S. You know, and yet, the, I mean, they're just this spins off into so many weird things of like, what is Dazen even doing anymore? I mean, if they're not marketing the fight, the whole point of putting fights on their network is so they can market along with that and try to drive subscribers. And instead, and you know, and they're just not even doing that anymore. So. Anyway, I, that was five disconnected thoughts. Back to someone else. Yeah, so, I mean, that, we mentioned it, but we should kind of talk about it. So, the WBO is uh, probably going to enforce that Joshua fight Usyk instead of... And, and that would kind of put a hamper on the significance of this fight if, you know, say Joshua has to be stripped of the WBO title because... He wants to fight Fury instead of Usyk, which he probably should. 
uh, Usyk really at this point will do nothing for, for Joshua. Joshua's got a far better resume than Usyk and, um, at heavyweight. And Usyk just hasn't looked, you know, like an elite heavyweight thus far since he's moved up from cruiserweight. And uh, then the other thing is the Wilder thing where, you know, they are in mediation right now to figure out if Fury can actually get out of the, the rematch clause that they had for the fight, which would be, um, okay, Tom, Tom just sent an image, um, <laughs> which would be a, you know, to get out of the trilogy. So my question is, do you guys think that Joshua will fight Fury next or... Are these guys going to have to, you know, do the fights? Essentially, the fights that they're they're probably obligated to, which for Fury is a rematch with Wilder and Joshua fighting his mandatory in Usyk. I, I expect them to do all their obligations because even if, you know, even if Fury gets out of the Wilder fight, which I don't think is happening, I imagine you'd want to have that fight during a time that there can be audience, right? No, that's exactly what I was going to say is that um, because the, the significance of that fight, you know, and the fact that they're both fairly popular people in the UK, it would be an absolute disgrace if you couldn't do that fight in the UK with a, a real live crowd. Um, I mean, if they were to do it in anywhere else other than Vegas, I guess you can do it in the US somewhere. But, you know, if you can't have a crowd that gives a shit about the fight, because that's the one thing about these Middle East fights that I think are just really take a lot of the, 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 the air out of the, the fight is that the crowd has basically been like, you know, not very good, even when there is a crowd. And so to me, this is a fight that if it's going to happen, you got to do it in the UK. You got to do it right. It is a, a major, just a cultural um, win for the UK. So I, if if it means that these guys take interim fights, and I, and I do think that those are both winnable fights for both of those guys, I think you go do that, especially for Joshua fighting Usyk. I mean, my God, um, Joshua probably stops Usyk quick, quicker than he stops Pulov. I know some of you guys may not like to hear that, but I'm going to keep it real with you and what I see with these guys. Um, Fred or Tom? Uh, I don't know why people like Coppinger being so dumb going, the WBO shouldn't have the mandatory or anything. Because that's just, like, if you got no crowds, then who gives a shit? And fucking let Joshua fight Usyk. And also, Usyk pays his sanctioning fees for a reason, you know? Like, it's, you're basically trying to screw these guys out of even more money. Uh, yeah, it's it's... You know, I think fight the mandatories if they got to have mandatories. It's just, I don't know. It's just people are pushing this Fury Joshua thing, but that's it. If you're not in the U.S., who gives a shit, really? It's just going to be like all the Klitschko's fights, you know? Sure, they're big over there, but what does it do for boxing? You know, boxing's based in the U.S., and that's that's what everyone's really got to realize. If you're not fighting in the U.S., you're going nowhere. You know, It's like whatever, like fighting club fights or some bullshit. No one cares. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I mean, it's, the whole thing is so weird to me. And I mean, it's just, you know, don't need to go on a super long thing. But again, mentioning the Fury Wilder thing, which whatever's happening with that, we have not seen reporting that remotely represents reality. You know, as mentioned many times, like you can't have a deal involving the Walt Disney Corporation 
Fox Corporation, you know, as well as, you know, to a lesser extent, PBC and Top Rank, and then just say, you know, while you're trying to schedule a date in good faith between all four parties, just I'm not going to do that anymore. Like that, that I mean, that this is that which is what Coppinger's story about this was with, you know, no quotes from network executive. You know, it was just from basically top rank and fury side with nothing from network executives, nothing from the PVC. I mean, that's just like something is not right with that. So uh, I, you know, I don't know what the answer is, but definitely if Wilder Fury three happens, I will not in any way be surprised. Fury Joshua, I, it, it still just doesn't seem that likely to me unless really enough money falls from the sky that they can't say no. It just, it, it seems more likely years off to me than immediately in front of us. There are, you know, so many issues regarding their promotional and managerial entities. It, it feels like it could be built into an enormously bigger fight. You know, again, mentioning the example of like Klitschko at the start of his reign versus Klitschko towards the end of his reign were sort of night and days and night and day in terms of his drawing power. You know, you, you would think you would want to build Joshua back into more of a, you know, intimidating presence. It, I, I, it just feels like there's so much room for the fight to build, just to say it succinctly. So, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, realistically. <laughs> it's confusing, it's weird, and yeah, that's my gut feeling is that that fight's not happening anytime. It feels more years away than months away. Yeah, I, I think realistically, Joshua and Fury could be built as the retirement plan for both of these guys like you could literally if you build this fight up the right way these guys can fight each other two three times and like they will never have to do anything again in their lives because the fight could be just insanely massive i don't i don't know that it the the one thing though is i don't know that it ever like can really break through here in the u.s um i think for a heavyweight fight to really break through here somebody's got to be american and thus far Joshua and Fury have not revealed themselves to be American. But, like, I, I still think that the fight itself is still worth making now because there is enormous interest for it in the UK. And there will be good enough interest for it here that, you know, I, I, I just don't think that maybe it ever gets to that point. But I, I think it's going to be a long couple of months uh, where of back and forth where we got to go between Fury, Joshua, Wilder, Usyk, the WBO, where we got to go deal and put up with all the back and forth and all of this stuff with these guys. And like by the end of it, like, you know, in four months time or so, we're going to be so sick of this story and all parties involved. This is my guess for what's going to happen. Um, all right, let's move on. The undercard was not very interesting, so we are not going to talk about it. Um, they got to do better, but I'm not going to kill them. I'm not going to kill anybody for having a bad undercard right now. Uh, I know some some of you out there love to get so mad about pay-per-views with no undercards and stuff like that. Like, people are trying. Like, they're really trying. And COVID is just running through undercards, okay? So this fight, you know, obviously there was a cruiserweight title fight that was planned and it was scrapped due to COVID, I believe. Uh, so let's go over to the Colbert card. Chris Colbert, he put on a pretty impressive performance against Jaime Arboleda. Stopped them late after after a couple knockdowns. Uh, let me ask you guys this question. What impressed you most about Colbert? Uh, Lex? <laughs> I was waiting for Tom to jump at that one. I'll go first. And I'm, I'm giving everyone a warning. 
I may be no, very... Lex, I'll, I'll go first. I'll give you a bit of cover before you... Yeah, just... please, please. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, look, I, we were chatting about this a bunch, and, and, you know, I was as well with some other people online. And, I mean, Colbert, to me, look, I mean, I'm going to sound hyperbolic, but I can't help it, but he showed me everything a prospect can show me in a fight. I mean, like, literally. I mean, like, he showed, you know, power, speed. Uh, he fought well inside, outside. He did a good job, you know with range angles, changing levels. I mean, just, just everything. He would walk his man down. He would counterpunch. He would go to the, the, uh, the ropes. I mean, I, I had been looking forward to this fight already, but then I rewatched a bunch of Colbert's fights this week. And, you know, he's a fighter. We're rewatching his fights. It really does remind me of the thing of a young Floyd Mayweather of like, you know, you watch it once, I think you know what's happening. And then you watch it again and you see the stuff in slow motion. It's a thing of like, Oh, you know, the two guys were exchanging. And then you watch it in slow motion or go through it frame by frame, like in my video editing software. And it's like, wow, you know, none of the other guy's punches landed and like all of Colbert's punches landed. And that's why the guy backed up after that. You know, it's it's really in the subtle stuff that you start to see. And I mean, that was really in effect in this fight. I mean, there was stuff like where the Showtime broadcast was really missing some of that where they're like, well, Colbert's shelling up too much. But then you really watch and see what happened. You say like, wow, you know, he's basically blocking everything his shots were getting through when they were exchanging and yeah i mean i mean i just thought it was uh it was just great performance i mean you know it does get tempered with you know it's not like he was in with a champion or something he was in with a guy who was something like in the 30s ranked on box rec which again i always say take with a grain of salt but it's you know a rough measure of the quality of the guy he'd been on televised on a bunch of pbc cards before he was a samson fighter i just thought it was a fantastic performance Okay, Lex. Yeah, my, my turn. Okay. I agree with everything you said. I, I don't, like, that was one of the most impressive prospect performance performances that I've seen in a very long time. And to try to put it into perspective, like, first of all, it's very rare that you see prospects get better at every level they go up at. You know, a lot of times you'll see, like, Teofimo had the Nakatani fight. And it's not, I don't want to use that against Teofimo because obviously he went on to bigger and better things. But you see guys like hit a level and it's like, oh, it's a bad night, bad matchup, whatever. Every Colbert fight, he shows me something that's like incredible. He stands in the pocket. He's slipping, sliding, throwing counter uppercuts, counter hooks. He's walking the bigger man down. He's fighting backwards. He doesn't, he doesn't sit down the whole 12 rounds, well, the whole 11 rounds. And, and you said, Tom, that, you know, oh, well, he's fighting like not a high ranked guy. And it's true. But one thing I look at when I'm watching prospects is like, are they willing to dispose of a guy that shouldn't be in the ring with them? You know, like Devin Haney is, is completely got someone out of there. Same with Shakur. Like I'm waiting for those standout performances. Colbert walked a bigger dude down and completely demolished him. Like and then they say he can't punch. He was punching hard. He hurt him a bunch of times. I mean, that performance was crazy to me. For me, it was maybe one of the best performances of the whole pandemic. And, like, he, I, I was a big fan before, but right now, he's, like, top three or five guys under 25. For me, it's Teofimo, Tank, Benavidez, and Colbert. That's it. What about Shakur? Yeah, right. What about Haney? I love Shakur. Shakur is great. <laughs> He had he Olympic pedigree, super clean, super polished, but top rank needs to match him harder. And I, 
should I save this for later or should I just go in now? Yeah, and yeah, let yeah. You know? Because I got more. What about Ryan? I like Ryan, but they have to move slow with him because I think I, I was think talking Ryan about Ryan Carl. As, huh? <laughs> He's cowboy Carl. <laughs> cowboy. Oh, you walked right into that one. Your mouth was open. (laughs) Cowboy Carl is probably fifth on the list. (laughs) I mean, yeah, Colbert was very impressive last night. Um, There were there were some. Fred, did you watch it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll be interested to hear your take after Angelo. Yeah. Anyway, go on, Angelo. I, I think the one thing that that I'll talk about that was really impressive because obviously we can all. It's really obvious when somebody just beats the hell out of somebody, and that's what Colbert did. But, I mean, early in the fight, I, I think after the first round, I sent a message. I think it was to Rollins. And I was like, this, this guy's going to get Rosario'd. I can tell. You know, you know when J- Jamel just seemingly out of nowhere just finished that fight against Jason Rosario. It just had that, that feel to me of like a guy who just doesn't quite know the, the trouble that he's in. And it's going to come through at some point. Um, Colbert's gonna gonna unload and probably one punch knock at, knock him out. Now he didn't do that. I don't uh, you, I don't think we're gonna classify this as a one punch knockout. But Colbert definitely figured it out. And Arboleda, as as game as he was, and and like you gotta give a lot of credit. Like Arboleda, and I, I guess I'll do that. Arboleda deserves a lot of credit. Um, he did not look good against Jason Velez. He looked like a guy that had. Just really didn't know what he wanted to do in the ring, but he knew he wanted to hurt people, and he completely turned it around in this fight. I, I thought um, Herman Caicedo deserves a lot of credit for the work he's done with Arboleda. Now, did he come up short? Yeah, but that's because Colbert is that much better. And I think it was the eighth or ninth round where Colbert just put on an absolute clinic. He fought the entire round with his hands down, landed maybe three or four punches. But Arboleda missed like 50 punches in that round, and Colbert was just untouchable. That to me was really impressive. A guy who's tired, like, you know, quote unquote tired, because, you know, you have to imagine Colbert was feeling the effects of fatigue in the eighth round. Not a ton, he wasn't gassed out or anything, but, you know, eight, the eighth round doesn't usually look like the first round in fights. And in the eighth round, Colbert was just clowning on this guy, I thought was really impressive. Arboleda looked like he was having success, and Colbert just decided, okay, I'm going to press the, on the gas, and we'll see what, what you do. And Arboleda just couldn't take it. And so, I mean, this was a really good... Pro- I thought Abner Mares was actually really good on commentary in this fight. You know, He pointed out, he's like, Colbert, is, uh, his power is underrated. And before the fight, as he said that, I'm like, mm, we'll see. We'll see. I, I don't know about that. Um, even though I, like, I was like, you know... I, I thought Colbert was going to catch him, but, like, you know, I don't know that Colbert's power is underrated. I think, like, people think he's not that big of a puncher, and that's probably the truth. But Colbert's accurate, and he knows how to knows when to throw his punches and put them together. And that's what we saw in this fight, a guy who doesn't have to punch the hardest because he knows when to make his punches count. And he did that, and Arboleda just, you know, wound up getting stopped because of that. So, I, I you know... All around, very good performance from Colbert. I don't call him a prospect. If you've got a world title, you're no longer a prospect. Sorry. But as one of the young fighters in the sport, he certainly now needs to have his name in the same conversation when we're bringing up all those other guys like Tank and Haney and Tiafimo and Shakur. Hey, can I say one thing real quick yeah. about Arboleda? When yeah. you watch these young prospects, 
listeners, podcasters, whoever, pay attention who's actually trying to win as an opponent and who's just in there as like a speed bump. Like Devin versus Gamboa, Gamboa was not there to win. Uh, I don't know about that. Gamboa was trying. He was trying. He's not like Gamboa, and that's like, you know, oh, he was trying. Yeah, I feel you. But Arboleda was in there trying to really win. Like, there's a big difference when you dispose of someone that's trying to win and believes in himself and his confidence and had a good full training camp versus someone that's just an opponent. That dude was not an opponent last night. He was in there trying to, you know, work. Anyway, sorry. No, Toko Conclary was definitely not there to win the fight. Opponent. Yeah. Um, and Andre Ward called it out pretty pretty easily. Um, but yeah. Yeah, Fred, uh, thoughts on Colbert? Or did you have more to say, Angela? looked really good. Some of us don't need video editing software to see shots of landing each other, Don. <laughs> no, I, I like that. He looked really good, especially his defense on the ropes. He looked really good because, like, they're saying, oh, he doesn't really want to be there. But I think he was, like I said, he was, he was hot-dogging a lot last night. I mean, but those, that's those shots crazy if they're saying like, he didn't want to be on the ropes. Like, I think it was pretty yeah. obvious he was fine with it. Yeah. You know, and uh, no, he, yeah, it was really good. I didn't think you guys covered it, but yeah, he's very solid, very, very good. Um, do you, so I think we're all in agreement that Colbert has now established himself as one of the emerging young elite fighters in the sport, yeah. But yeah, I don't know why yeah. they want to rush him. They're well, like, that's oh, my now question he's got to fight Tank, yeah. Well, that's yeah. What I'm guessing, yeah, it's like I don't get that whole thing that. Oh, this guy looks good. Now he's got to fight Tank. It's like, what? What's the rush? You got to build these guys up. This guy's never had like this is the first time he's headlined a card. But like, my question is like, or he might have headlined an FS1 card. But my question is like, okay, Tank is probably the big fight for him, assuming Tank is going to stay for at one thirty, stay at one thirty for the foreseeable future. Yeah, Colbert's not the big fight for Tank. Well, no, but for Colbert, how? How many fights do you think he needs before him versus Tank is viable? And and that means know. Colbert's going to carry his weight a little bit because right now if they fought and you could certainly make that fight right now. Nobody would know who Colbert is. It's such an interesting like topic, right? If you ask me, Colbert could be a big piece for PBC. Like not like Errol Spence size, but like he's from Brooklyn. He's super charismatic. Like, going back to all these guys under 25, I find him the most entertaining to, to, be, like, to see him on a mic. Like, he's selling his, his chicken spot that Tom went to. He's talking about giving guys 25-piece combos. Like, he's really good on the mic. And I think if they handle his career properly, you know, he could, continue, he could be selling out shows at the, um, at the Barclays Center. So I don't know the right time for a tank fight. I, don't, I wouldn't want to rush him into that. I don't know if you guys agree with that, but no, I, I definitely years agree. down the line. Yeah, like like uh, talent-wise, like as in fighting, you could probably use a couple more fights, maybe two fights against like uh, some some top more top level talent. Uh, as far as uh, entertainment-wise, there's no rush for it, you know, or it doesn't even need to happen. Maybe Tank moves up. You know, and that's the thing. is It's like, it's this idea that now Colbert's got to fight Tank. It's just nonsensical. It makes no sense for either fighter. And like, from a financial standpoint, because why? You got Colbert, you got an entertaining guy. He could be your star. Why would you now want to rush? Because you always lose. Someone's going to lose popularity, and so there's no need for it, you know. It's like, this is the thing. It's it, it's a business. 
you know, and this whole idea that because if, if you watch a lot of boxing, you know, you just want to see names fight each other because that's all you, you know, because you watch all the time. Most people still don't know who Colbert is, you know. Yeah, Most boxing people still don't know who Colbert is. You know? Yeah, I think that's a that's a hardcore fight, and there's really no reason to do the fight just yet. By the way, like Colbert stopping Arboleda, like is impressed as you could be with it, and certainly we are. Um, a lot of the the a lot of what we're doing with Colbert is projecting that this is a guy who's going to develop into uh, really an elite fighter, but. Beating Arboleda does not qualify you to fight Tank. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, unless he was popular, but he's not. Ryan Garcia could fight, you know, he could fight some jabroni, whatever, and fight Tank because Ryan Garcia is going to bring something to the table. Cobra right now doesn't bring anything but pink hair. <laughs> yeah, I'll jump in on this quickly. I mean, you know, it's more consensus, I guess, but my own little spin on it. It's just the PBC has done a very good job with slow building guys. And then, you know, uh, building substantial resumes, giving guys a lot of exposure on Fox and on, you know, pay-per-view undercards. Like, you know, Colbert, it's about the, you know, having a productive entire career, not about, you know, again, yeah, what's the next fight they're throwing into? I mean, I feel like that was a mode of thinking people were used to with HBO where they really didn't develop B-sides. You know, they develop A-sides and then a B-side would get maybe one fight to showcase and then they'd throw them in with the A-side and then they'd throw them away after they lost. And that's not what this is and that's not who Colbert is. You know, we're going to see a lot more of him. Um, I think sort of more of the interesting but more nerdy question is kind of like, who is he going to fight? Because like 130 is such a, Pack division in terms of fighters needing opponents and uh, that might be a little bit hard for Colbert just because like top rank has let's say in rough terms five of the guys in the top 10 they also have a lot of lower level guys in the division signed to them that they can have as opponents on the PBC side you have um, Tank and Leo who are probably going to get first dibs on any opponents over Colbert um, so it's could be a little tricky you know I don't I don't think they'll have a hard time finding two or three opponents a year for him. Um, you know, especially if they're going to prioritize sort of the slot versus the opponent. Like I could see him getting uh, more high profile undercard slots. I think he was, um, um, where did it, Jezreel Corrales, I think was on like one of the Fox broadcast undercards. Like it was like, I think uh, J-Rock, um, uh, J-Rock, it, yeah, anyway, I'm not going to keep rambling with this. But he's gotten some good exposure, and I think he'll get more exposure. But, yeah, the point is, like, a Tank fight is not... No one is asking for that right now. It just wouldn't no. benefit anything. If Tank beat him, it would just, you know, be considered a nothing, no no name. And, yeah, it's just like, I like Colbert, but, I mean, that's the thing we can transition onto when we get to the Shakur fight. But, I mean, look, this is watched probably by, under you know, 180,000 viewers on Showtime, and the ESPN card was on, you know, broadcast ESPN would have gotten a great audience. I mean, at least as far as this weekend's concerned, top rank kind of ate the PBC's lunch in terms of, you know, showcasing their prospects. Granted, this is just one weekend with a small sampling of fighters. But um, I you think know, Shakur's Col performance, though, might have not yeah, been. Well, we can transition into no, that. See, but see, this is OK. So this is the point I'm making. I'm sort of coming off uh, what Lex was supposed to say too. PBC's building fighters. 
You know, when you get these guys in boxing Twitter, like these writers that want to see you, as soon as they see a guy, oh, they got to fight, you know, whoever the top guys. No, that's not what they're doing. They got criticized so much that, oh, PBC can't build fighters and all this bullshit. Well, this is what they're doing now. You know, so they got a guy like Colbert. You're not going to throw him in against with your top talent and, and ruin him. It's like they're going to do what everybody else is. But the thing is, PBC can have Colbert fighting guys that aren't names. And if he fights like this, and they keep getting opponents because the, the PBC is pretty good at getting opponents that want to win, that aren't just showing up for the fight. It's, of course, it's not universal because you, you can't control everything. But you know, like like uh, like said, the guy the guy came in to win last night, and he was fighting like he wanted to win, you know. And so you could keep building Colbert because they can keep finding guys that will give him a fight, even if they're outmatched. You know, they, they can find guys that come in to fight. And that's the big thing is, whereas these other, it doesn't matter if these other places have names, they can't build guys because all their opponents are just showing up. You know, they're, they're not coming to win. So so that's a bit of difference that I think, you know, you don't need Colbert's like that. So you worry about Colbert's career. You don't worry about his role against Tang, you know. So. Yeah, no, you touched on two great points, and I'm just going to jump in here. I mean, just mm-hmm. respond to the most recent one first. Um, you know, if Colbert continues to fight more like this, you know, this is a guy who, like you said, I mean, there are two ways to build popularity is beating good opponents and putting on shows against lower level names. And, you know, if he can keep fighting like this, if they can keep getting Samson and Sean Gibbons to give, get opponents to him, even if they aren't the biggest names, this is going to keep building him. Um, you know, it's the opposite of someone, you know, we've joked about this in the past before, but like Shakur Stevenson will talk about or Demetrius Andrade, where it's almost like the more you see them, the less you want to follow their career. Um, you know, if he keeps putting on shows that he's going to be just fine. The separate thing, just to, to respond in a slightly more specific way about Fred saying, like, you know, it just gets back to the PBC's business model versus top ranks business model. You know, Heyman Boxing is a management company. They are invested in signing fighters and the total career earnings over the course of their career. That's how they make money. Top Rank is a promoter. Their investment, or the the way they make money is by having big events that they promote (laughs) and by paying their fighters as little as possible. That's their profit. So, you know, they want to sign a fighter to a, a guarantee and then put on an event where they profit by making more money than they pay their fighter. Heyman Boxing makes money as a cutoff what the fighter makes, so they want to get as high career earnings over the course of a fighter's entire career. I mean, that's why you see people like Cowboy Carl still getting, um, you know, title shots. You know, there's an investment in the entire life of a fighter. It's now about one one event. One, one thing that I'm going to keep an eye on, and Tom, we talked about this in DMs or whatever, is like Colbert was very popular for skipping the Olympics, he, he, um, he, what, what's the word I want to use? He made the Olympic team before any of his class. Um, what's the word? Someone help me, please. Don't worry about it. I mean, uh, just, uh, we, anyway, we understand anyway, what you're saying. So Colbert could have made the Olympic team, chose to go pro. Shakur took the more traditional route, won a silver medal. I want to keep a close eye on how both of these guys' career trajectory plays out because if there comes a point where Colbert, I don't know, like laps Shakur, which I'm not going to predict right now, but if that does happen, like that'll be a cool case study to see how it affects 
future amateurs and potential Olympians. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the Olympics, though, are still a thing that people are just going to always strive for. Although this pandemic and the next year's Olympics could be really weird and a changing of the way we perceive the Olympics going forward. I think it's been happening for a while, though. It's not yeah, carrying it's the same gradual. weight just because of the corruption in the, you know, AIBA or whatever. Come on, man. It's not corrupt. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I just, I have a great thing I always have wanted to throw out on this topic, and I've never really had a good chance, so I'm going to do it here. During the 2016 Olympics, Shakur Stevenson won a silver medal, and he fought in front of probably less than 30,000 viewers on an NBC app, not televised on TV in America. That same week, Errol Spence fought following the gold medal game on NBC because that's the deal Heyman had made with NBC in front of six million viewers. Yeah. Who got more publicity that week? Errol Spence, not Shakur Stevenson. Um, you know, the, the importance oh the Olympics God, has. Tom heard. just hates Shakur. God, you now, ride this kid yeah. hard. Now, I, I was going to say, we, we still like we, we keep floating around, but aren't getting fully into the Shakur Stevenson fight. He there's no question that right now, I mean, there's there's sort of a latent star potential with Chris Colbert. I mean, this is something that we've been talking a lot about. And I was talking about with uh, uh, shout out uh, Kobe Bean out there. Um, you know, if you go through Colbert's Instagram, like he is always getting pictures with celebrities like he'll get invited on stuff by celebrities. He has a he, he already has like a celebrity fan base. He was in this uh, Netflix documentary, Counterpunch. That's something uh, Lex and I have been talking about. Um, he, he had a little bit more of like an influencer following that I think people realize. Um, it's like Anthony know, I, Durrell. It's like, oh, you were popular with people. That's well, weird. I think there could be a little bit more of a breakout than I think we're sort He's not just some random guy who's looking good on undercards. You know, I think there's a little bit more here and a little bit more potential than we're sort of letting on. But just just to pivot and at a certain point, we can't just fully transition over the Shakur card. But, um, you know, there's no question having the silver medal, um, you know, having the greater amount of exposure ESPN is giving their prospects because they don't have as many like mid and high level guys as, as PBC. Um, you know, you know, there's no question right now he's ahead of Colbert in terms of the star potential. There just isn't a question about that. Yeah, but, but it but would be interesting. The, the, I, I don't like just to like, cut it down. It, it's with the Olympics. It used to be the viewers. And Tom, you said it now. Olympic boxing isn't the main attraction. You know, that's why Sugar Ray Leonard was popular. People think, oh, it's because he won the Olympic gold. Or no, it's because everyone recently. saw the fucking fight. Yeah, everyone right, it got saw like the 80 fights. million viewers or something. Yeah, you know, it's like, yeah, a huge amount of viewers watching it because that's what the sports they chose to show. Now they're showing like fucking, I don't know, polo and bullshit. <laughs> hey, man, curling is just impossible to change a channel on. Well, no, that's Winter Olympics back. Come on, don't, I know. don't hate on curling. I, I prefer the Winter Olympics over the Summer Olympics. But there's so many sponsors that are like, saying hey you got to show our swimmers because that's the fucking like nikes well that also just pulls in the numbers i mean that's what they're doing they're they're playing the hits you could you could pretty much you could pretty much show anything on the olympics that people are going to watch it it's influenced now a lot by these fucking by the the sponsorship companies or previous stars like michael phelps like you you couldn't not show him you couldn't not show who's talking about michael phelps now no no one gives a fuck well i mean obviously he i mean if he's competing in in the olympics next year i bet that you know that'll do big numbers he's retired i know that but i'm just saying 
The, you, you it's have sponsorships. Sponsorships built up his whole shit, and they showed him. Same thing, like again. Well, if, I think it's a combination also of winning. We're getting a little into the weeds here. If Nike anyways, was invested in kayaking, fucking kayaking, would be getting all the viewers. Like, I can know. But that's what I'm saying. It, yeah. But no that speaks to, you anymore. know, the, the, there's not the investment there for boxing. And, but, but that's why Joshua came out the gate so strong is because his fights were highly publicized. You know, the, the, the Olympics were in London. Uh, when he won his gold medal, won is, you know, in quotes, uh, if you've actually watched those Olympics, you know that that was definitely a little, little suspect. Anyway, let's move on. Richardson Hitchens fought on the undercard. Uh, I thought his win was impressive. And like, if you guys have listened to the podcast before, you know that I, Richardson Hitchens is a guy that I don't think is very good. Um, you know, I'm not very high on him, but I will say that that was impressive last night. I did like what I saw from him. Um, you know, he won a, 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 a decision, but it was a competitive fight and it was a competitive fight where he still clearly w- won the fight. Um, it, I don't know. It's kind of like a, a weird phenomenon, but it was a good fight for him. I think, I think he showed a lot of metal. I think he showed that there's something there with him. Uh, how do you guys feel about where Richardson Hitchens is right now in his career? I like I like Hitchens. I'll go first. Um, you know, he, he just seems like a, a high caliber uh, prospect as far as his personality and what he stands for. So it's easy for me to watch and root for him. Um, supposedly he's putting in a lot of work with Floyd uh, training for this camp. And I think a lot of whatever they were working on, it seemed like it rubbed off because I saw a lot of like Floydish stuff and not like not in a one to one sense. But he was trying things that Floyd would do move around, clinch when it mattered. You know, get in and don't get hit. Um, I think he'll be a late bloomer, though. He started boxing a bit late, from what I understand. And, um, you know, I don't think he's going to be on, like, a Shakur or Chris Colbert or Tank level right now. But I think, you know, in, in the coming years, he'll he'll be someone to keep an eye on. Tom? Yeah, I mean, we've talked about him before. He's a guy who I at least, and I think Lex as well, have seen in a lot of Barclays Center shows. I've seen, you know his pro debut a huge amount of his like his first eight fights which is he's always on those undercards and i mean he's a guy it reminds me uh you guys had mentioned this on some podcast last week i think angela you had the just reminding about what jermel charlo looked like when he was coming up and i just keep thinking about that who is a guy who like looked pretty good kept winning as a prospect but never really looked sensational and at a certain point came into his own and really just, you know, became a dominant force in his weight class. And Hitchens, I mean, it's certainly too soon to say he'll have that kind of ceiling. But he's that type of guy against lower, lower level opponents. He can show sh- some good flash, some good combinations. And, you know, in this fight, it wasn't super flashy, but he beat a gatekeeper opponent. I think uh, some people were wondering of whether he really even should be considered like a promising prospect or if he's, you know, it's sort of the thing, is it a prospect or is it just an undefeated fighter who hasn't lost yet? And I thought this was a good win, a good performance. He is, you know, just good, uh, athleticism, good, you know, rangy build. I think he could still develop more. He's definitely not, you know, when Lex was saying that we should consider what Colbert, one of the very best young fighters in the sport, I don't think anyone's saying about that about Hitchens, but I think for anyone who went in with pretty low expectations, 
he exceeded them. He has a win over a gatekeeper. It's good. He can build off this. I think, like, probably he now is closer to the prospect side of things than he is just, you know, an undefeated young fighter, as you said. I think that's the best way to yeah, read this. Yeah, I he, think he got back on the right side of that question. Yeah. Um, Matt Korbov on the undercard lost. Unfortunately, he suffered another injury. This time it was to his, his Achilles. I'll just say real briefly, Ronald Ellis didn't impress me much. I thought if he had actually made weight, he would have been clearly um, getting dominated here. But too bad. Korobov's body just you know isn't quite holding up. And uh, probably this is the end of Korobov's career. Sad that it's going to have to end this way, but, you know, getting old sucks. So we'll talk about the Shakur Stevenson card now. He won a unanimous decision over Toka Khan Clary. Uh, interesting tidbit, Andre Ward no longer Shakur Stevenson's manager or co-manager. Um, although now Shakur yeah, I want to hear what everyone has to say about that. Shakur Stevenson uh, has this mysterious new co-promoter, Antonio Leonard Promotions. That seemed to come out of nowhere. But, I mean... You know, for the Andre Ward thing, not being his manager, I think probably maybe there's a connection with the promotion. Andre Ward, I think, is still very much around. He said something about being a mentor and stuff like that, but whatever. I mean, who cares about that part? Um, We know who calls the shots in Shakur Stevenson's career. And, like, I think the big thing here is that we know Shakur Stevenson's talented. We know that there's a lot of things that Shakur can do on in the ring, but at the same time, you know, this was a performance that was forgettable. I mean, he didn't completely dominate to the point where Toka Conclary was embarrassed. And I think if he would have done that, that would have been, you know, a, a real statement. As much as they, you know, they really tried to portray it as that, Shakur dominated a guy but he did it very workmanlike you know I can't fault anything that he did in the ring but at the same time there wasn't too much there that I would go out of my way to to praise it it was just you know he got the job done and in some sense like yes that is exactly what you want to see a guy do but Shakur Stevenson is a young fighter um you know he, he talks enough that maybe he can get himself in position where he's in big fights but as of right now that wasn't the most impressive no impressive is not the right word to say uh that wasn't the most inspiring performance in terms of like is anybody excited about Shakur Stevenson on Sunday morning um how did you guys feel about what you saw from Shakur Fred uh, it oh, yeah, go ahead, Fred. very good like he's he's obviously like when you, this is the thing Lex said earlier. When you, you got a guy like that, you want to see the just get him out, you know. And that's why I think Bradley is pushing that whole. They should just stop it. They should just stop it. So then they could say, "Well, there's another KO on, you know, Shakur Stevenson's record." You know, it, <laughs> yeah, it's, right. It, it it's 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 terrible. You know, he's like, it's, yeah, he's outmatched a point that he couldn't really hurt. He just outmatched him. You know, like he, he wasn't stopping the guy. He was just hitting him a lot. It just, I don't know. It's like, yeah, we know he's talented, but then it's just, it, it wouldn't be so bad if they didn't like, blow so much smoke up fucking Shakur's ass. Like, no one hits him. No one does this. Well, it's because he's fighting guys like 
in the bottom of the level, fucking guys. division. Come on. Yeah. yeah. That, like, I mean, that was fighting. ridiculous. Yeah, he's not fighting anyone good. And it's just, yeah. So, like, Shakur looks good, but it's he's not he's not fighting anyone, and he's not going to blow him out. So why do you really care? You know, it's just like... Uh, yeah, there's a shit. Shakur, the way that they portrayed him on commentary, it really is like they're just like out on Lomachenko and they've taken all of what they say about Lomachenko and just applied it to Shakur Stevenson. Yeah. And, you know, look, was Lomachenko deserving of that? Maybe, but probably not that hyperbolic. Lomachenko, like, you know, outstanding talent you know you you can't deny that the guy was able to do things in the ring and he got away with doing things in the ring that nobody else is doing and and even to this day is still we're still not seeing anybody do some of the things that he did but at the same time like Shakur Stevenson is not doing those things and he's fighting very low level opposition at this point and he's being praised in a way that you would expect this kind of praise to like Tiafimo maybe deserves this kind of praise given what he did to uh in the Lomachenko fight so I don't know to me it just seems like it's very dissonant when you watch the the fight taking place in front of you and then the commentary which yeah the, the commentary sounds like used car salesman <laughs> yeah. that's what they always I don't know if you guys like. heard but Tim no, just Tim Bradley says he has Shakur in his top 10 pounds yeah. pound. well yeah. Kevin yeah, Iole has Kevin him at Iole. number 10 yeah. Was well, remember uh, after um, Lomachenko's first fight, okay? If you guys want to go fact check me, go ahead. I don't care. Go watch the Bradley Marquez pay per view. That's where Lomachenko made his pro debut. Go back and watch it. Roy Jones Jr. will say he put Lomachenko on his pound for pound list after uh, he knocked out Jose Ramirez on that fight. <laughs> go back and watch it. Yeah, well, in fairness to Roy, I mean, you know, Roy was saying based basically off his amateur career, and he copped to that. You know, it wasn't like what he saw in that one moment. He was like based off of the World Series of Boxing and his amateur. But anyway, you can go on. But I mean, like, that's kind of, how, how many times do we need to learn that the amateurs is not the pros? And, yeah. uh, you know, Lomachenko learned the hard way. And, I mean, does that, ha- that doesn't have much to do with Shakur Stevenson. Like, I think Shakur Stevenson has fully developed into his pro style. And, you know, it is what it is. I don't think he has, like, devastating power. Uh, and he doesn't push, put, put his foot on the gas. And, you know, he's, yeah, I, the, I think he's going to be hard to beat. These fights aren't doing anything for him. Well, now, you know, see. Now he's on. in that hell. He's in that J Prince hell. And his co-promoter is just the stooge for Jay Prince. It's that Antonio Leonard that Prince tried to get the pop-up when they were trying to break uh, Andre Ward free from Goose. And, you know, the, the guy's just a patsy. He's not doing anything except taking, like, you know, marching orders from Prince. And it's just like, this This is the type of fights you're going to get from this combination. Because this is kind of what Floyd ended up in when he was fighting, uh, when he switched to Jay Prince at under top rank. It's just he's not doing anything for his career. It's just stalling it, and that's what Shakur looks exact same way. You know, these, these fights, like you said, who's talking about this Sunday? You know, nobody. It is well, like every, literally us knows. right now. But yeah, us. Yeah, like <laughs> yeah, yeah, people yeah, who no, have to talk about boxing. You know, but that's it. It's like Shakur's a talent. He looks good, but these this this arrangement's going to do nothing for his career. 
Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, I'll, I'll say this. Like, I, I always feel like I get caught saying bad stuff about Shakur. So I'll get all this, the positive stuff out of the way up front. I mean, he's definitely one of the top, you know, rising guys in the sport. Um, in terms of prominence, he is as well. I mean, you know, there are reasons for that. I mean, uh, well, top, well, uh, PBC can use their slots to show guys like Keith Thurman or Sean Porter on network television. You know, top rank just doesn't have those kind of names. So they kind of moved a bunch of their prospects further up in the schedule. So Shakur's gotten a bunch of exposure, but look, he's a really talented guy. Um, he hasn't lost many rounds as a pro. I mean, that's something you can definitely say. I mean, he, he has, uh, a, you know, a tolerance for that. I mean, he, he does not want to lose rounds. He doesn't want to give up anything. So to the extent that we haven't, you know, we're saying negative things, it's to the extent that he's not taking risks. It's not to the extent we're actually seeing anything bad from him. But, you know, in the slightly more critical side, I mean, hard not to be frustrated by the performance. I mean, we have not seen him in with or beat a fighter in the top 30. You know, he fought two guys who are about 30, uh, you know, again, I know box rankings are a little silly, but that's still what I'm going with. And we haven't seen him knock out a fighter in the top 100. You know, the the, the opponents that he's knocked out, top rank has brought in super low-level guys who have been knocked out before, been hurt before. Um, you know, this was, seemed on paper, my read was this was supposed to be the best fighter that yet that he's fought that he would stop. Um, I think he was something like ranked 85. Again, I know silly box rec rankings, but I'll still go with it. And it, it kind of looked like that. Like, you know, there's the potential there for him to get a stoppage. And, you know, it did. It does seem like he didn't do what he was supposed to do. I mean, he swept the fight, but, you know, he really never stepped on the gas. And, I mean, he showed more creativity than he, he has in his other two higher-profile fights. Um, you know, but not that much more, you know, in those fights, he really didn't do that much more than circle and throw the, the left to the body. I mean, he really just did that over and over again. This time he mixed in more body shots. He mixed in more inside work, but there's it, it just a strange aversion to really establish himself in these fights. I don't know if that's the word that he's getting from his camp, that it's just win rounds, don't get hit. Um, you know, but it's just kind of weird. I don't know. I mean, it it feels Android like where you you have a guy who seems like he has more talent than he's showing, but he just doesn't show it. I mean, he Shakur, extremely talented kid, definitely could have a bright future. I just I don't love the hesitancy. I don't love, you know, what I describe as like this, you know, Demetrius Android like temperament. So risk averse where he seems to have so much um, so much talent and you'll see him in with overmatched opponents, but he just inexplicably won't put the foot on the gas pedal. You know, this is something that we've seen. We saw an Andre Ward throughout his career where, you know, he'd fight guys like, you know, Edwin Rodriguez or even like the strongest example of that is Alexander Brand before the first Kovalev fight where you have a guy and Ward seems to be like 10,000 times more talented. And why are you not knocking this guy out? I mean, I remember in that fight, Virgil Hunter being like kind of incredible at times, just like, what's happening here? Just like hurt this guy, knock him out, step in on him. And it's sort of strange. Shakur hasn't, you know, it's like, I don't know what that is about his temperament. You know, at the same time, he's young. He has a lot to develop. As I was talking about with uh, Hitchens and this Jermel Charlo slow build that some prospects have. Um, 
you know, in the next year or two, we could see Shakur take off. You know, that might happen. And even besides that, if all the stars can align at top rank, if he can fight the, you know, Oscar Valdez, Burchelt, um, the the Herring Frampton winner, if he gets those fights, you know, that might be enough to be a, a path to stardom. I mean, even if he's not knocking guys out just by getting those wins, you know, if he can 12-0 all those guys, great. You know, that might be enough. But that's not really going to build him into a star. And I think that's a bit of a problem Top Rank has is that they're, they're, they're getting such weak opposition and then promising big fights down the road. And then when the big fights happen, no one's really that hype because it's like, well, you weren't building anything, you know? You weren't getting the buzz going. And that's the problem with these this, this, this whole Top I, Rank system right now, in my opinion. I, I think Top Rank is playing a very dangerous game with Shakur. And and like by that I mean, a lot of people are curious about Shakur for whatever reason. Whenever he fights, I get texts from like a lot of my my basketball playing buddies, like former teammates from high school or college, and they're like, "Yo, you watching Shakur tonight?" And I'm it's like so weird to me because I'm like, I'm watching, but why are you asking about Shakur? There's so many other guys that like I would expect before Shakur, but I I don't know whether it's like his like charming look. The Olympic pedigree. What? <laughs> Miami beatdown. The Miami beatdown. Mike down. Coppinger yeah. drooling over Eddie Hearn over here. By God, what is happening? No, but that's I'm, what I mean. Like, yeah, Shakur's listen, got something. I'm just something. telling you my yeah. experience. I'm, I'm yeah, telling I know. you. We're just, people, we're just joking. People love Shakur. No, I get it, though, because, like, I don't I know if people love Shakur. But... Listen, if I, I can show you all the texts I have. I have, like, four texts from, yo, you... I'm watching ESPN tonight. Are you watching? It's really weird. Oh, but, I only want to see texts from your friend from Miami. <laughs> you let's not go there we can say that for a pre-pod <laughs> but anyway i say that it's dangerous because like people are waiting for shakur to break out but if he if he keeps putting on these like b-hopish andre wardish performances it's like what is the roof for shakur because like yeah sure all the fighters want to be great okay cool some we we want excitement. We want to see these big pay per view fights. We want to see trash talking. We want to see knockouts. And if Shakur doesn't, I, I don't know. Maybe he won't you want ever to see a live us. body. And Clary just didn't look like a live yeah, body. Yeah, we, we want to see like competition. A, and if yeah. Shakur either can't give us that, or Top Rank doesn't want to give us that, you I know, think I it's mostly people. Top Rank. Yeah, it's, it's Top Rank. They're not paying. They don't want to pay money. You know, they don't want to pay money for opponents. They're making that clear. I believe that, but if. It something doesn't change quick. I can see people just jumping off the bandwagon, whatever little bandwagon exists. I I, th- I think there there's going to be a big disconnect between what you know Twitter boxing has to say and what people actually you know the people who actually tune in if they're connecting. And as of right now, I don't I don't see it happening. Um, I don't I don't. Yeah, I don't. I just don't see it happening with Shakur. But he is ex- extremely talented. Get, make no mistake about that. You know, there's Shakur Stevenson as the potential star fighter, and then there's Shakur Stevenson as a potential pound for pound fighter. Uh, I just want to make sure it's very, very clear to people that those two things are completely independent. There is no correlation whatsoever between the two of them. Uh, let's move on. Um, I don't know where. The th- oh, here it is. I've lost the list your, real quick. Your man, Felix Verdejo. Yeah, Felix Verdejo just came out, looked like he was, you know, 
part of this revitalized sort of, you know, he's finally got healthy. He's knocking dudes out again. He obviously knocked that guy out in the first round. Do you guys remember what we said um, on the podcast back when he knocked him out in the first round? That there was nothing to glean from it, that you could take nothing, that this is no indication of anything with our boy Felix Verdejo. And, uh, you know, he came out quick. Nakatani got dropped. Nakatani weathered the storm. And Nakatani dropped him twice later on. And, like, it was in the middle rounds. I don't know if you guys caught this, but Nakatani's corner, they told him that they had seen what they needed to see. They now were seeing the punch. Like, like they saw that Verdejo was seeing the punches, and it was now time to, you know, press him. And he did and wound up stopping him. So I guess the real question here, like, obviously, I plan on doing a more, like, thorough podcast on Felix Verdejo on one of the Patreon podcasts. So uh, we don't need to get too much into the saga of Felix Verdejo. But what there is to talk about, I think, is does this justify the struggle that Tiafimo had with Nakatani? You know, Tiafimo didn't have the easiest time with Masayoshi Nakatani. It was his worst performance as a pro thus far in his career. And um, so do you think that Nakatani might just be a little bit better than we realize? And that's why Tiafimo had some struggles with him. Or do you guys think that maybe Felix Verdejo is just even worse than you might imagine? Who wants to go first? I will, because I remember you you and me talked about Verdejo like ages ago. You know, it was like, oh, he's, you know, he's a prospect, pretty shaky. And then we just gave up on him because he looks so awful. You know, and they well, sort of the indictment on him. Him. The indictment on him was like, oh, God, this guy. If you remember when he fought on HBO, like he just beat the hell out of that guy. But he never was able to like truly look spectacular. And it was because like, oh, he doesn't throw to the body. He's just a headhunter. He thinks yeah. like he's just a human highlight reel and he looks stupid. Yeah. So I think this is. Nakatani is solid, obviously, but I think it's more Verdejo. Just it's it's the dream's over. <laughs> you know, it's, it's nothing. They, they sort of brought him back and they started to step him up a bit. And yeah, they're just he's just not uh, very good. What do you think, Tom? Yeah, I think it's it's a little bit of both. I mean, I think the two things are Verdejo is just not a, a fully fleshed out pro. I mean, he had been a good amateur. I mean, this is, we were talking earlier on in the pot about the difference between amateurs and pros. And, you know, you can see why he was a good amateur. He has great physical gifts, you know, has a good frame, good speed and power. Uh, but he just, he doesn't have the boxing IQ and he doesn't have the concentration to fight, you know, and stamina, which are tied together to fight a 12 round fight. You know, he got, uh, you know, through some great counters early, you know, scored the knockdowns. Um, you know, he's the type of fighter who can drill a counter in the gym. But that's not the same thing as being able to adjust, adjust, really understand what your opponent is doing and to have, you know, the toughness, concentration and stamina to go the whole distance. And, you know, he just fell apart. Um, I mean, at the same time, Nakatani's a solid guy. You know, he you know, I'm you know, someone who's continually banged the drum about how good of a fight he gave Tiafimo. I mean, that, that caused me to miss my pick for the Tiafimo Lomachenko fight. I mean, that, that fight really weighed on my mind. He's a solid guy. I mean, I actually was more surprised that he, uh, 
that Verdejo had as much success as he did, because on paper to me, this just looked like Nakatani will probably win. I mean, I, I, I'll say, I'll take sort of a step back where it was like, what had been laid out was basically if Verdejo can win and he, you know, even more than that, get a knockout that sets up a Tiafimo fight, you know, which is a cynical bit of business because Tiafimo is now, you know, number one in the division and Verdejo is, you know, a failed prospect who they're trying to find an excuse to match with Tiafimo so they can sort of trade whatever bit of popularity Verdejo still has onto Tiafimo. You know, it's pretty cynical. But, you know, if he beat Nakatani, I'd say, great. You know, Nakatani's a pretty solid guy. I gave Tiafimo a good... So I, I think this is actually pretty fair sort of, uh, sort of gambit laid out by... Uh, top rank. If he could get that win, great. I'd watch him fight Tiafimo, but I didn't think he would win, <laughs> and he didn't. Um, so, I mean, look, at this point, Verdejo should just go on the scrap heap. I mean, it's a shame to say that about, you know, someone who spent their whole life studying a craft that, you know, he probably just doesn't have a viable career, but there, there is no second act here. He's, he's not going to be a star. I mean, it's like a much lower version of like Amir Khan or Jorge Linares, who's a guy who showed some flash but gets knocked out whenever he's in a hard fight. No, um, I mean, Amir Khan and Linares, like Verdejo would give anything to have their careers. Yeah. Right, yeah, yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. It's we like, clown those guys, but like those guys actually, you know, got to the big, got to the dance and he could dream of having a career careers yeah. like those so tom wasn't too far off he's like this is like a tom just wasn't beat. mean enough for once yeah yeah this is, <laughs> yeah this is like the c-level fighter version of amir khan's i mean verdejo's just not good let's just say it yeah i i do want to just throw on one last you know this is as much as i have to say about the fight the one final thing before i toss to lex was um if he has anything to say about it but um something which was funny to me was that some top ranked matchmakers on twitter uh were saying you know their take on this was not we did something wrong by making this fight their take was devin haney will never fight nakatani which is like what? how do you jump from like point a to point z there yeah he took a fucking like shortcut to that one if you have options on nakatani like that's so dumb because it's like yeah well obviously he's not gonna fight him because he right. you, you'll I mean, make it was, impossible i love it yeah yeah that was something uh glazer said and someone someone asked him exactly that they're like well doesn't top rank have options on him how would they even do a Devin haney fight and he's like yeah uh top rank has options so no they wouldn't let him go fight haney but and then you know it's like a paragraph of bullshit. So yeah, anyways. all of that is nonsense. Like who cares? But, yeah, nobody's it's asking for that fight. Yeah, yeah. But I, I just I say I laugh because of the top rank matchmakers because this was a thing where you see this over and over again. If an opponent comes in and they either upset a top rank prospect or they give a much harder fight than expected, the top rank matchmakers always want to get that back. You know, they're considered the best matchmakers in the sport. You can see they have that pride. Um, I think of Maurice Hooker knocking out the top-ranked fighter. Uh, was it Alex Acedo, I think? Correct. Uh, and then Jose Ramirez knocked him out. You know, Correct. it was like their matchmakers got it wrong the first time, but they're like, we're not going to get it wrong twice. Like, we see the vulnerabilities in this guy. We're going to get him. And, I'm you know, starting to question the abilities of top-ranked Well, let me just though, finish the they, thought, you know. though. But you can, you can see why they thought that with Nakatani, where, you know, if... Verdejo was knocking him down with counters. 
you can think that going into the fight with Teofimo, they thought he was going to murder Nakatani. Mm. You know, uh, Teofimo was, you know, in hindsight, probably a little off that night. Nakatani is a solid guy, and Verdejo belongs on the scrap heap. Uh, scrap heap, yeah. I mean, look, he's not that good. Can he be good? I think athletically he can, but, like, I don't know. It it would be the trainer that could turn this guy around would have to easily win trainer of the year because it is a hell of a challenge I see, and I don't see it happening. So, yeah. I mean, Lex, you got anything? I mean, I mostly agree with Tom, so I just, you know. All right. He already said what I mostly think, so. Okay. Um, let's, let's jump onto the news and previews. We'll be quick on this, and then we will be out of here. We will have another podcast where we talk and we preview a lot of fights for next week. I mean, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, well, not major, but eight fights worth talking about, which it would probably take forever if we did that. So anyway, um, we have what's relevant to the two fights or two cards coming up is that both the Canelo card and then the Donaire-Ubali card, which became the Donaire-Rodriguez card, which is now the Rodriguez-Gabayo card, both cards have been essentially decimated by positive COVID tests, and uh, the cards look nothing like they originally were supposed to look like. Uh, I think Canelo's card dropped two fights. The Donaire card, I think, has dropped two as well. And so, um, and then Donaire's got this like weird thing where his wife, I think it was, posted uh, an extremely long diatribe of the trials and, tribula- trials and tribulations of the false, what they believe to be a false positive, and them not getting approval to fight. Um, the one thing that I think that's really weird about the situation is that I thought he was getting divorced. That was, yeah, yeah, I remember, and I looked into that. So basically, Donaire posted something kind of weird on Instagram, and what I could gather from it was that he just worded it really weird. His wife was like on a like a girl's uh, trip or whatever, I don't know. His wife was essentially out of town, and so he made this tweet kind of like, you know, about him being on his own, but it was worded really poorly to like, indicate that they had split when like really it was just him saying like oh look at me taking care of the boys and and and, yeah i looked into that because it was i was like wait that that was like the not a power couple but like these guys like you know she trained him for a fight yeah i mean maybe that was what that could have been a a reason but well this is back to the the testing this is the problem with the rapid testing age you're gonna get false positives some of this and it happens because it's like the rna test which is the traditional method is the only one that you really be guaranteed it's actually working. Like a lot of these rapid tests are just fucking dudes cashing in. So I mean, my take on this is like, look, we're five months into this, into having fights where we're testing for COVID and stuff like that. And you know what? You win some, you lose some. And have we had some fights canceled that were probably false positives? Yeah, probably. But what we've also seen is like everyone has done a really good job at getting these guys back in the ring as soon as possible. I mean, you saw with Jamal Herring, the dude failed a handful of tests and still was able to get back out there and get in the ring and look unimpressive. But um, 
I, I think this was actually not bad because the original fight was Donaire and Ubali. And Ubali was the first one to drop from this card. Like, doesn't it make sense that, okay, fine, just put Donaire and Ubali in January and we can get the original fight? Yeah, you could save the whole matchup. And, and that's, you know, instead of having it for, for an interim WBC title, it's now the full WBC title. Uh, I, I don't know. It's just really weird. I thought it was just so weird that, like, she, like, posted, like, all this stuff. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> well, it could be money, you know. Times could be getting tough. You never know. It, you know, there that that's all also a possibility. But, but again, like, what's a few weeks, I guess? I mean, you I don't know. know. I don't want to, you know, maybe it is a big deal, but I kind of doubt it. I mean, they have this business where they were selling. Well, I don't know if they were selling, but, you know, they were up to big things at the beginning of COVID. I don't know if you remember when Donair was on that podcast. I think it was on the PBC podcast where he like kind of really talked about the efforts that they were going to through to like get PPE and all this stuff. And it was like really cool what they were doing. But now it's kind of weird that they've gone to, well, I mean, look, what if this is for sure a false positive? Like, I, I think it's just so difficult now. Like, how do you tell either Rodriguez or Gabayo, like, yeah, you're out, you know, Donaire's back? Yeah, no, it's, you, know, it's, you can't. <laughs> it's one of those things that <laughs> you can't it's fix it. A lot of, this is, yeah, this is a lot of, you, know, you just got to go with what you go with. Is this on FS1 or Fox? It's this is on Showtime. Oh, Showtime. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Ugh. Sure, going to take a hit on that one, I guess. I don't know. Uh, I mean, the the card itself is like much different, but a lot of people are, are like really into this card, at least on Twitter boxing, which probably isn't a good thing. Yeah. But you have you know one of the Gary Russells stepping up. You have boots. Oh, you got boots out. People just want to see boots anyway. And then you have Rodriguez and Gabayo, which might actually be a pretty good fight. But anyway. Um, Adrian Broner, he will likely be back in the first quarter of 2021. Uh, we all know the trials and tribulations of Adrian Broner. Uh, adjusting who, to fame. Well, <laughs> part of still adjusting to fame is that you only have $13. <laughs> is that his claim? Yeah, his claim to the judge is that he only has $13. <laughs> and they, she, the judge was like, but you posted on IG like a bunch of money. He's like, no, 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 that was my friend's money. <laughs> and so basically the judge was like all right well you got to pay this money and broner's like i got i only got 13 dollars." so the judge is like okay well you know okay and so broner's like yeah but i'm gonna fight soon so the judge is like well tell me when and adrian was like january <laughs> and uh so i guess there's been some back and forth but essentially um broner's got to pay four million dollars and very what the hell what was this over an assault or what? Uh, I think it was two different lawsuits. Yeah. God damn. Four well, minutes. it's like one of them I think was like groping a girl, and one of them was like he just cold clocks cold. I don't know how do I cold talk? cocks. Yeah. yeah, cold cocked someone on the Vegas Strip and just knocked him out cold. A stranger. That's he needs to do that in the ring. He ain't had a knockout in a while. And you got to pay four million for that? Come on. I think it was three and one. I'd negotiate I negotiate that. You know, down. I sh- shouldn't even be talking because I'm ba- I'm basing this off of just very vague memories. Damn. Well, basically, Broner's going to be back in the first quarter of next year. I mean, it's probably he's probably going to fight. Uh, what's his name? Ivan Redcap because we knew, well, we knew Broner was coming back for a long time though because I think Espinosa said that. Yeah, I, I think 
he said that months ago. But yeah, yeah. And Broner's been in the back. gym. He's been training. Um, I don't know if he's got more or less than thirteen dollars, but we well, do know. Isn't, supposedly he's on a he's on an allowance from Heyman. I think on an allowance. Yeah, essentially, like Heyman set up some kind of trust for him, so that he doesn't get all his money. I think is what the uh, one of the claims I saw was. I think Broner made that claim. Uh, well, maybe, but um, I I would imagine that the thirteen dollar claim for the sake of uh, legality was one hundred percent accurate. And the money you see Broner with is indeed those very very kind <laughs> friends that he has. Uh, we're not going to get into the those legal issues he has because those are a little troubling. Um, yeah, just just to go back. I mean, are you? Um, sorry, do you have more to say about Broner? Well, I was I was just going to say, you know, Broner's obviously had quite a few run-ins with the law. Um, who could forget the bowling alley incident? Yeah, <laughs> gang gang. Um, I just, I mean, just to the bigger topic. Um, we're ending this weekend. One just quick shout. Definitely looking forward to the Ennis fight. Um, all Gary Russells are not created equal. Um, this is the Bantamweight one, I think, is probably the least talented. He's in a good step up against Juan Carlos Pianos. This is a good chance to establish himself. He's the Leangelo really looking... Ball of the group. Yeah, really <laughs> <laughs> looking for uh, Gary, Gary Antoine Russell um, to get back in the ring. Um, and apparently has a fight date coming up. I think um, the father, I think, had a lot of health problems was the story on that, I think, because they've been sort of sidelined. I thought um, Dirk and Bowen were negotiating tough. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. But um, where was, what was I saying? Anyway, really looking forward to the Ennis fight, though. I mean, I'll watch that just by itself. But, I mean, obviously the major fight of the weekend is the Canelo fight, Triple G fight, somewhere below that. But uh, the Ennis fight should be good well-matched with uh, Chris Van Heerden as far as a development fight step up. Everyone Um, loves boots. But I I was just on the topic of Broner. I mean, my my just big comment on that is um, I think uh, we all, or at least me, I'm sort of waiting for a lot of PBC announcements to drop. I mean, I think they want to get through to the end of the year, kind of just let the Canelo, you know, just kind of let the calendar run out. You know, like um, Joshua has now fought, after this weekend, um, Canelo and to a much lesser extent, Golovkin will have fought, you know, uh, they'll, they'll hash out whatever's happening with Wilder and Fury. And then I think we're going to start to see a lot of pieces fall into place. They're going to do us a favor and make the part of the year that is typically the most boring, which is between Christmas and New Year's and even maybe a little after that and maybe give us announcements during that time so we have something to talk about and not talk to our family. Well, it could come in January. Like, I think, like, the showtime up front was in January. But, you know, we'll, we'll see. I mean, they seem more eager to, more willing and eager to put on fights than anyone else. I mean, days in, it's a question mark how many fights they're even going to broadcast in 2021. Top Rank has already come out and said they're going to have a very slow start to the year. They're at this point just trying to wait until they can do more stuff with uh, fans, which, you know, is, of course, important so they can have, you know, uh, fights with, you know, a $50,000 gate, <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't know. Tom, like, if I could just twist that knife. Yeah. I mean, look, how many, how many fighters do they have who can even do above 50 or $75,000 gate? I, I don't know. You know, it's like Bud's really probably their biggest draw and they shit all over. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's pretty stupid. 
Um, I mean, you're talking about really gates ranging from like 40,000 to like 500,000 for their whole roster. It's pretty yeah. pathetic that that's their reason for not doing cards, or at least even that's their public excuse for not doing cards. Anyway, that, that's what I was saying about that. I just um, hopefully, you know, Broner is an obvious one, but I think they're, we're waiting for a lot of announcements to drop, I think. The oh. most amazing thing about Broner to me is how popular he remains. Like, the he just his popularity is something promoters boxers would kill for, and in people's him as a goof, and he kind of is. They see him as you know, you know, he's, he's also you know wasted talent to a bit level. But his his pop, he's still massively popular. It, it's just kind of crazy to me, you know. The, the guy's like, he, he's he's just I don't know. No matter how much trouble he gets in, he could still have an air of a lovable clown type of dude. You know, even though he's like getting he's a stalled. rascal. Well, exactly. Yeah, he's a little bit of a rascal. You know, like other guys, like you know, the <laughs> uh, what's the oh now his name just slipped that out of my mind. The guy they always said could beat Floyd because of that sparring. Paul Spadafora. Paul Spadafora. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Spadafora is out there shooting his girlfriend type of stuff. It's like that kind of ended his career. You know, like you you know. AB hasn't gone that far. I think going but, to know, prison ended his career, but go on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that's what I'm saying. You know, AB's like, he's right on that edge, but he still maintains that people just, they still love him. You know, I think it's just kind of crazy. Part of it is like, Broner's really funny. Yeah, yeah. But that's what I'm saying. Like, he can come off with that. Yeah, it just, it's. And he can get away with doing a lot of things because he's funny. Yeah, he's got the personality. So that's what all I'm saying. Like, you, you look at boxing, people go, well, and they, they try to say, oh, it's the matchups, it's this or that. Who the fuck's Broner hasn't won in a long time, and he's still massively popular. You know, so it's not this idea that, oh, boxing needs to match the best versus the best if they want to make big fights. It's like, what the fuck? You look at a guy, he's you know, a guy with personality, and a lot of boxers, they don't have it, understandably, because, you know, they got Broner does a very that. good job of remaining a spectacle. Yeah. And, like, yeah. You, leveraging instagram and stuff like that like if you follow his instagram like one day he's talking about suicide which is like you hope it's not true obviously but the next he's like talking about his eight baby mamas (laughs) he's rapping then he's calling out floyd for being a bitch like he's always doing something that is like worth your attention if you're into that he's self-deprecating too yeah i I think that's it too because like he can he can make fun of himself which i think is kind of the key you gotta do it right do you remember otherwise a lot of a lot of guys talk shit like you know ish smith started talking shit and people just went ah you're just you're weird you know well ish has always like been one of the most boring fighters in the sport but like and he cried but i just like that eb stuff it's just like his popularity is just is stunning you know remember when broner posted the clip of him with uh, wearing the sandals with socks, <laughs> <laughs> like that was hilarious. <laughs> Just, yeah. Um, let's see. Um, Ryan Garcia next up. He will be fighting Luke Campbell. Obviously, we know that they're going to fight January second. What we now know is that they're going to get a crowd. They're moving the fight to Dallas. They're going to fight at the American Airlines Center. Um, I think. How, how many fans do you think that'll have? Mm, the, uh, it, the American Airlines Center is a normal basketball venue, so like I think we're looking at anywhere from like maybe a thousand to four thousand, maybe if they enforce like the social distancing uh, 
stuff, I, I think that probably is as big as a crowd they're going to be able to fit in there. Yeah, I think he could pull that, you know. Oh, I think they'll sell no problem. I just think, I mean, I was thinking, you know, obviously we had this news about the vaccine and things like that, which changes the game. But my first thought when this was announced is like, this is Oscar's luck. He's going to go last. And of course, they're going to just shut everything down right before this fight. So they're kind of <laughs> screwed. It would just be Oscar's luck. Yeah. But uh, I, I think I think we're full steam ahead that this is gonna, not having any, gonna, not going to have any trouble. The only thing that's going to maybe possibly, possibly stop this fight from happening is that one of these two guys test positive, Ryan Garcia. Again, didn't Luke Campbell get the COVID? Well, I mean, now it's Ryan Garcia's turn. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I mean, I just, never mind. We'll save this for the preview podcast. I got words on that. Um, He'll test positive for something else. No, not that. Not that. (laughs) Uh, None of the good stuff. Uh, Bob, Bob Arum said, and this kind of, you know, Tom, you were kind of alluding to this earlier, that the next fight that he wants to make for Teofimo Lopez is George Cambosos. And, but he says the only way it's going to happen is if it's in Australia because he can't afford to do it in the U S and even if he could afford it, it would be a waste of money. (laughs) I mean, sign with top rank kids. (laughs) Your promoter can say that you're a piece of shit and he's going to lose money on you. When he controls the entire purse for the events, you know, it's just like, yeah, on. I don't understand how you lose money on this. Like, if you can do a crowd, like I imagine Tiafimo Lopez is going to be able to draw a crowd in his next fight. I think beating Lomachenko with that audience that they had, it should do at it should at minimum be break even. And if it's not, then that means that they're they're not doing business the right way. Either they're not charging enough. They're not getting enough from the, of a license fee from ESPN, or they made a deal with Tiafimo Lopez that is not beneficial to them. I don't know. But there's but, no license fee, though. Top Rank's in charge of the budget. I mean, you know what I'm saying, though. Like, yeah. they would have messed so up somewhere. So it's all somewhere. Top Rank. Yeah. They, they just want to pinch pennies and cut costs and just make as much money as they can off this deal. That's, that's all they want to do. Uh, so, I don't know. This is my a, turn to be a Top Rank hater. I'm taking over for Don this week. I mean, it's it's yeah. Really no, I'm weird here. I'm me. just like we talked about this before already. I just don't want to repeat myself too much. You know, I I I'm still here. I just I don't really have anything to add. The only this. thing with Australia is that Australia will give money for events like this. That's why yeah. the UFC was always going right. to yeah, exactly. That's the government why WWE the goes shit. there. <laughs> yeah, they, they get yeah. a huge fee. It's to not do because kangaroos are paying to watch the fight. Yes, exactly. Wow. Um, it's kind of weird. They get it's, Australia's got a lot of sports washing to do themselves, I guess. I mean, Tiafimo and George Cambosos is not interesting whatsoever. I mean, it might have been if Cambosos would have beaten Lee Selby and like left no doubt in the ring, but that isn't quite what happened. <laughs> Were you on the commentary team for the UK guys? I was not. I mean, it was... I like that one, because they're like, Lee Selby's taking this in such a great performance that he loses the decision. I mean, look, it was competitive, and it, but, it, but the thing is, like, it wasn't the kind of win where you think, oh, Cambosos would give Tiafimo a good fight. It was, a, it was yeah. more of a performance of like, oh, this guy's, like, you know, not that good. Yeah. Like, Lee Selby's best days were at 126. Yeah. So if he had besties. Yeah. 
quote unquote best. Yeah. Split decisions against Mickey Bay and Lee Selby back to back should not get you a title shot against Tiafimo. But I, I mean, like Mickey Bay, like the state of Mickey Bay when that fight happened is like, oof. Uh, Look, I mean, in the scope of everything, he's undefeated. If Tiafimo sends him to hell, that'll be good television. You know, I think we all agree that going straight from a fight with Lomachenko on network television or, you know, on broadcast, it's not broadcast either, basic cable ESPN as opposed to ESPN. No, that's good perspective. That's good yeah, perspective. Yeah, I mean, that that's not a great, you know, that this is clearly not the best way to follow his career in terms of star power, but it is a way to get him paid his new minimum uh, because the Australian government will give the money for the fight. So it's, it's pretty dopey, but, you know, whatever. Uh, let's see. Um, and probably what I thought was maybe the biggest news of the week is Clarissa Shields signing with uh, PFL. I'm guessing the sense for Pro Fighting League. Yeah. Okay. And the professional fighter league. Would say, yeah, it's some bullshit. It's what the used it's like the to minor be, leagues, right? Uh, well, kind of. Yeah, it was the one they they had worlds. They had, they had another name before, essentially. It's it's basically the same structure but different investors. This is where that Ali Abdulaziz guy who like manages all the MMA fighters. He was like working as an executive for this this people, and he still might be with the PFL, you know. So writers apparently who loved the Al Heyman, no, who isn't a promoter story, uh, keep missing this one, you know. About the they're they're kind of like yeah they've they've got some kind of weird connection to uh, UFC that isn't really a connection but it is just because Ali manages I think he controls like the vast majority of fighters in the PFL like probably like seventy five percent or something I think um, yeah so I don't know it looks like this seems like the end of Clarissa Shields' boxing career or maybe a, a halt in it if she's gonna sign with an MMA organization. Is this to me? I feel like this is like a lower level one, which would probably be better for her to face lower level opposition as she looks to develop herself as an MMA fighter. Do I have that right? Yeah. Uh, do, do you I think- mean? I don't know. I just it's unfortunate. I mean, I, I I mean, there's no obvious way for her to make a killing in boxing. There just is not a pool of opponents for her to fight, to make a lot of money. You know, she's out here chasing like one or two fights in the wrong weight classes. You can kind of understand why she just sort of look at the state of affairs and say, this is not great. I mean, there could be a new crop of opponents coming out of the 2020 Olympics, but the 2020 Olympics has been delayed. So that's not great for her. She said she's going to continue boxing, but this is a side thing. I mean, at the end of the day, is she going to be a good enough athlete? And with her background of boxing, is that going to be enough to beat some people in MMA? Yeah, probably. But, I mean, she, I don't think she has a background in, like, wrestling at all or kickboxing or any other kind of striking. I mean, to me, it, it does not seem like a good fit as far as, I mean, there are certain, like, boxers, you know, male or female. I mean, I'm thinking more of specific male boxers where you think, like, okay, because of their background, they actually could do something. This could be something interesting. You know, I don't. To me, it doesn't seem like a very straight line for Clarissa Shields. Besides, her just not really having a big pool of opponents to fight. So, um, it's kind of unfortunate. But you know, she's going to make a lot of money. So, no, she's not going to make a lot of money unless they give her like a guarantee thing. 
you know, this is the thing is I think this might be a factor where they don't realize how bad things are in MMA for fighters. But what's her weight class going to be? Like, what what does she box at in women's boxing? She was working... recently 154. Yeah, yeah there's more no one. Probably around there's, 160. There's fucking no one up there in MMA for women at that level. Yeah, you, so you, maybe she establishes a new weight class. No, yeah, well, good luck with that. The UFC fought tooth and nail, and then they barely allowed uh, Chris Cyborg, I think, to fight at 145. You know? Or maybe it was 135. I can't remember. Like The women's divisions are like really, really light. So if she thinks there's no competition and no money in women's boxing, she's going to have to dump a whole fucking well, lot of weight. My, my guess, I mean, this is whether or not, I mean, you can tell me, you know, you know better how solvent this company might be. But, I mean, this is oh, a they chance. Got for, they, they got legitimate backing. Yeah, so this is they a chance have an ESPN for the company deal. to get some yeah, they have an ESPN deal too. prominence for themselves. And that's always what you're looking for in any kind of business if you're trying to enter an established market. Um, you know, you want to differentiate. So, okay, so they're going to they're gonna have the bigger women's weight class. And they have a very prominent name to put into it in Clarissa Shields. So, I, you know, that makes sense. And I can imagine just as part of them being, you know, a startup effectively that they'd be willing to throw a little money around. I mean, you know, that's not a good long-term plan, but she's not necessarily locking up the next 10 years of her career. You know, if they want to throw money at her for the next two years while she's waiting for other opponents to develop coming out of the 2020 Olympics, it doesn't seem like the end of the world to me. Well, yeah. The only thing is that, yeah, if, if they give her money, like I said, the ceiling for women is probably no different in boxing than it is in MMA. You know, like at first how much money they can make, because, you know, like for a boxer, a male, you'd be like you're going to make millions of more if you're top of your sport, you know, compared to MMA because of the way they control it over there. But for women, the, they, they could probably make more in MMA, but their ceiling is going to be still just as capped, you know. So you're probably the most money you can make in boxing would be probably what the most money you can make in MMA. So your average is going to be a bit higher. So, yeah, it's like, it's whatever. I think she's run out of performance anyway, you know. It's just, that's what I'm just saying. Like, who's she going to fight in it in MMA? I don't know. It's going to be like when they start hauling some of these weirdos from that they get in China where they're like or, massively monsters and stuff like that. Or, I mean, look, if, if Clarissa appears to be a little bit of a draw as in MMA, I can see some of the girls who are, in what we would consider like the higher weight classes, although, you know, that might only be like 135, uh, them moving up to fighter. Mm. And I, and I I don't know, maybe they look at it as like, look, I've trained a long, long time MMA. She looks raw and is still learning. I have a shot here, even if she's bigger. So, you know, I, I don't, I don't know exactly, but I mean, that's one possible way to look at it. It is, I mean, look, what it points to is that just the women's boxing in the U.S. just isn't catching on. And if Clarissa Shields wasn't able to do it, I mean, look, it's it's maybe as sad as as it is to say, might not be the time because she had everything you may need. I don't know if that's because like Showtime was back in her. But I don't know something went on there. I think this might be a case of some manager getting in her ear about stuff. Well, I mean, I think two things. I mean, I think um, Showtime basically was interested in, in setting up the Christina Hammer fight. I mean, you know, they built to that matchup. And then after that, it became a little more tricky. And as far as her oh, being yeah, able to do anything, I mean, it's hard in any level of boxing 
if you're not getting knockouts. You know, I mean, is it just really enough entertainment value to watch Clarissa Shields get, you know, 10 round of these like two minute round decision wins um, over, you know, in these divisions, which literally have like 15 fighters? Yeah. You know? It, uh, there's I, there's just not a lot there. I mean, you know, that was sort of my understanding over the course of the fall was basically she was waiting for a date from Showtime. And I think they were sort of like, you know, we're kind of going in a different direction. We're not interested in paying you six-figure checks to put on those types of shows. Um, so mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, well, whatever. They say you have good honor. Hopefully you just I'm just saying, like, you know, you're talking – there's no division of 155 in women's boxing. Technically, there is, but there's no, no one has an active one. Yeah. Well, anyway, that's more time than we needed to spend on that, probably. Do we have anything else on the the thing here, at, uh, Angelo? No. So we there are obviously previews that we got to talk about, which we'll do in a separate podcast. But we wanted to split them up so that it wasn't just a four hour long podcast. So um, that's it for this week. <laughs> that's the news. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed it. If you liked the podcast, leave a rating, leave a review, leave a good one, please. Don't leave anything bad. Uh, that Don't talk be... shit about me. I like that. Someone well, do me that, that on Twitter. Like, just DM. Like, we get DMs. Lex, Lex sent me a DM about some guy who found a, a one when I would think I was shitting on Fury and then good. some UK dude was mad. I like that. Leave Rated five stars, but still shit on me. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think Jimmy just attacked fucking Angelo. Did you hear a bunch of barking went on, and then Angelo went quiet. Angelo has been eaten by Jimmy. <laughs> I think Jimmy finally had enough of this shit. <laughs> yeah, that was, we really, uh, yeah, we went out with a whimper here. <laughs> the way too long segment about Clarissa Shields. Yeah, you gotta give her props, man. Is showing I, the lady. Yeah, I'm very tired. Did you I did you guys see? Focus on these. Uh, sorry, did you did you guys see the clip the clips of her dancing with uh, John Jones? Yeah, that was um, cool. All the home and everything. Uh, sorry, yeah. my nephew just came over. Hold up, so let me get back into it. All right, so definitely uh, go to Twitter, go to Fred's, and just hit him in the DMs. We 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 get these DMs from you know a person in particular who's I, I gotta admire. His persistence and just wanting to brag about things that he should actually be embarrassed to brag about. But hey, you know, I ain't going to tell anybody how to live their life. So um, he started sending me messages again. He wants my love again. So. Just send him a. Never mind. Um, I, I, I ghosted him. So. Oh. <laughs> Broke his heart. All right. Well, definitely appreciate you guys listening. Well, we, you know, definitely subscribe to the Patreon, um, patreon.com slash Sunday Puncher. There's a lot more podcasts over there. You get the pregame podcast, which is something we do where we kind of talk before we do our podcast. We talk and we talk about other things. We talked about movies today. In addition to boxing, um, last week we had a conversation about like how the the connection between boxing and NBA and what certain things would be in NBA and boxing and stuff like that. So anyway, it's a lot of fun. Uh, Otherwise, thank you guys for listening, and we will be back next week.